Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to my weekly From My Mama's Kitchen talk radio show. My guest for this morning is Dr. Robert Keith Wallace. He is a pioneering researcher on the physiology of consciousness. His research has inspired hundreds of studies on the benefits of meditation and other mind-body techniques. Dr. Wallace's findings have been published in Science, American Journal of Physiology, and Scientific American. He is also the founding president of Maharishi University of Management in Fairfield, Iowa. Dr. Wallace and I will be discussing his collaborative work with Dr. Frederick Travis regarding their scientific research and successful real-life parenting techniques from their latest newly released Dharma Parenting book, the book is about understanding your child's brilliant brain for greater happiness, health, success, and fulfillment. Good morning, Dr. Wallace. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today, sir? Very good. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air. Dharma Parenting is a very interesting book. Despite the neuroscience, the book is an easy read, and it certainly offers a fresh perspective about raising successful children. So congratulations to you and Dr. Travis. I appreciate that very much. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Okay, well, that's a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I started up growing up in Los Angeles, um, and I went to uh, UCLA, did my uh, bachelor's degree in physics and my PhD in physiology. I um, My... Many. My father was a dentist. My grandfather was a doctor that had a hospital, so I had a lot of medical background. And I was very interested in consciousness. Um, I was able to meet a very wise person, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, at a young age, and he inspired me very, very greatly. And so I decided that I would be interested in studying meditation. In those days, there, there wasn't a, hardly any research at all on it. So I, you know, I did my PhD thesis on it. Later, went on to Harvard University, and I was, uh, you know, it was a bit unusual. I had one professor at Harvard that said to me, you know, people don't think that stress is bad, so you can't really say that here. Um, and you know, it was a, it was a new experience. And from there, I uh, ended up uh, traveling around the world, giving talks wherever I went on the effects of meditation. The university I'm now at and where I was the founding president had $25 million worth of grants um, Mm -hmm. for uh, research on high blood pressure and meditation, uh, transcendental meditation. And uh, I've got four kids, six grandchildren, and it's probably the strangest thing in the world when you're 70 years old to write a book on parenting, but (laughs) nevertheless... It became incredibly interesting for me, and I read every mm-hmm. book I could, and I've, you know, studied a lot of uh, different systems of health, particularly mm-hmm. this Ayurveda system from India, but all the yeah. Chinese traditional and all the holistic health systems. So, I was just very interested in giving the latest modern scientific knowledge 
with the latest uh, understanding of these ancient mm -hmm. traditional systems of health, which have incredible wisdom in them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So true. That's quite interesting about your family background being all in the genre of sciences. You pursue the study of physics. So how did that come about? Well, I, you know, I was uh, inspired by uh, many of the great physicists, and you know, that wanted to go deep into nature and understand the mm -hmm. kind of the core of nature. And, uh, you know, I really delighted in some aspects of physics, quantum mechanics. It was like such a new understanding of the world, so completely yeah. different than I'd ever had before. And, um, you know, my interest was always to relate it to consciousness. I was always interested in, yeah. well, who am I and how do I relate to this universe? And all these great mm -hmm. traditions in the world talk about this kind of unified field of consciousness and how does that relate to our current understanding of physics? So I was very, very fascinated to try to uh, understand the spiritual side of physics. Very interesting. Was there a life epiphany that drew you to the study and practice of consciousness? Really, um, you know, as my older brothers, my older brothers uh, became interested in everything. One got into Zen meditation, one got into uh, yoga, and so um, they kind of influenced me and they introduced me to this one teacher, Marshi Mahesh Yogi, who was really an amazing individual uh, who you know, really uh, was the first to talk about consciousness and higher states of consciousness in terms of the brain, in terms of, you know, unfolding new pathways in the brain. And that just mm -hmm. completely fascinated, fascinated me. So when I was quite young, I was uh, really inspired. I mean, uh, you know, it really made a huge difference in my life. I went from like a a C student to an honor student in physics, and I just it just kind of changed my life. Starting meditation at a young age, and really exploring this connection between science and consciousness. So basically, you had a competitive edge over someone else. <laughs> I had an incredible competitive edge, no doubt about it. I, you know, I was. Uh, very, very fortunate, you know, to travel with Marshi to go to different places and to get, you know, a lot of interest in, you know, what was going on in the physiology. Yeah. And then I combine that with a really good education and a really good opportunity, both at UCLA and Harvard, to mm -hmm. um, do, you know, very, very top research. And um, right. and I, you know, I was able to continue that for many years. So, yeah, it, it's I don't know how you could really, you know, research consciousness unless you had some experience right. yourself. You know, you got to kind of get in there yourself and do it, you know? Right. Well, that's what the beauty of the book that you guys have put together. And based on what we just talked about, I think one of the most important things is that this is not a reference. This is something that you have experienced yourself that you have to go through so that you are speaking from an experiential perspective i i would say you're absolutely right i mean um you know i have to say that our wives had a huge part in writing this book even though they didn't want to be mentioned as authors um <laughs> you know this was a joint uh effort all four of us combined all mm -hmm. of our life experiences and all of our children mm -hmm. 
and we really tried to put our heart and soul into it, giving, you know, as many real experiences as we could. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, made it a lot more fun, I mean, to be able right, to, right. Uh, you know, relate it. And, you know, we were not the greatest. I mean, I'm speaking of myself here. I was sure. not the greatest parent. I didn't really understand a lot of these concepts. Uh, we didn't have family mm-hmm. meetings, for example. And yet mm-hmm. I now, once I saw that, I realized, my gosh, that's, I, I spent a lot of time reading almost every parenting book I can get my hands on. And then I yeah. thought, wow, there's some amazing truths here that should be shared. Um, I right. think the understanding of the individuality of your child is something very special to mm-hmm. um, particularly uh, these traditions in the East that kind of use uh, some understanding of what we would call, we call brain body types, but they might call mind mm-hmm. body types or body mm-hmm. types. Mm-hmm. And that, that really is a kind of a fun way of kind of understanding how different people can have different natures, they can have different tendencies. And I'm, you know, it's an area I'm very interested in trying to help parents understand how each child is so individual and you have to treat them that way. Right, right. So true. How did you cross paths with Dr. Travis and what led you to to collaborate on this wonderful book, Dharma Parenting. Well, actually, Fred was a student here at the university and uh, Mm -hmm. did his Ph.D. thesis, so I knew him at that time. And then he became one of the top researchers at our university, really studying all the neurophysiological aspects of transcendental meditation and consciousness. He's done some amazing research looking at how you can look at different states of the brain and correlate them with athletes, with musicians, with, you know, managers, looking Mm -hmm. at peak performance and how meditation helps that. And um, so we, you know, we've collaborated on a number of research studies, uh, really trying to understand how the brain operates in different states of consciousness. And it's quite by, you know, chance I was involved with a group of people who were in a writing program uh, and they were they really inspired me to want to do something. And I got together with Fred, who had done a lot of work in child development. And we just thought, hey, this was a great opportunity. We could really do something good here. Um, we had mm-hmm. an amazing you know, amount of knowledge in this area and research. And we just never thought about putting it into a book. So we you know, had an aha experience and decided, okay, let's go ahead. I mean, it took us three years to do it. It wasn't easy, and uh, as I say, our wives did a huge part of it, so thank thank them very much right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What's interesting, you mentioned just now, and you graciously shared your age as far as my grandparent, and I'm writing about a book on parenting. What yeah. I look at is that this is something that you and Dr. Travis are doing something wonderful because this is about living a legacy of love. It's it about right. sharing that wisdom with the individuals in our lives, and in this case, obviously, with the masses. Thank you, and congratulations for that. Well, thank you. I mean, I think there's nothing more important than your children. That's the, that's the mm-hmm. reality of life. And uh, I was very fortunate uh, that my children really uh, were, you know, got involved in some of the things that I got involved in, and um, we had a shared appreciation. So they turn out to be my best friends. And Mm -hmm. I find that an amazing thing when you can have your children 
not just your children, but as they grow older, they become your best friends. And mm-hmm. being a grandparent is a very, very enjoyable experience. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, that's one of the one of the better deals in life, having grandchildren. Mm-hmm. They're just so delightful, and you get to see a whole new generation evolve. Right, right. So true. What is Dharma parenting? Well, the word Dharma itself is an amazing word. Um, you know, it's a word which, like yoga or meditation, is not so familiar in the West. It has its own mm-hmm. origins. It means its own thing. But just like yoga and meditation now have become quite common words, I think Dharma will soon become a common word. It's such a profound word. It, for our purposes, we talk about it as the path of life. And, you mm-hmm. know, for a parent, it's how you can help your child on the path that will bring them the greatest happiness, the greatest health, the greatest success. So it's, you know, each child finds their own dharma. Each child finds their own path in the world. And that can be from everything from, you know, how they, their kind of the things they like and dislike to their whole, their profession in life, the kind of uh, not just, you know, business, but also Mm-hmm. what their spirituality is, what their appreciation, how they care for other people, what kind of acts of kindness they do. And it really is uh, in a very, very comprehensive idea. Um, and, you know, you would find many different definitions of it, um, but they all kind of rest around this idea that we're all on a journey and we have to mm-hmm. kind of find what that journey is. And for children, that's very important. They really need a lot of support and a lot of help, and they need to be really taken care of. And so many things are framed uh, in the brain when you're young. So mm-hmm. many pathways are laid down. I mean, you take a child from zero to three, and you think, oh, that little child sitting there, isn't that sweet? They're hardly doing anything at all. And yet, in their brain, there are 24 million connections happening every minute. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, unbelievable what's going on in their brain. Every experience they're having is creating these extremely important pathways that are going to later shape their life. And there have been Mm -hmm. many, many studies done. You know, if kids are brought up in harsh situations, if they've been abused, physical punishment, Mm -hmm then there are, you know, all kinds of uh, physiological changes in these children. I mean, the stress pathways become accentuated. Um, They actually have, you know, some of their genes and actually get it expressed differently when they're brought up in these harsh environments. Psychologically, you know, kids that aren't given enough attention can have huge uh, problems. And so... In general, this kind of um, understanding of parenting now has become a scientific understanding. We know Mm -hmm. that if parents are too authoritative, if they do use physical punishment, if there's a lot of yelling and screaming, um, okay, the kids will be obedient uh, at a certain point. Uh, They're just intimidated, you know, they'll do it. But when they become teenagers... um, it backfires enormously. And these are the kids that get into all the problems, you know, lots of drinking drugs, um, Mm -hmm. you know, committing Mm -hmm. crimes. And on the other hand, you know, uh, some of us grew up in the, you know, famous hippie generation 
And there it was mm-hmm. very permissive. Oh, you let your kid do everything, you know, no rules, no boundaries. It's sort of a reaction to the authoritative. And that turns out to be an equally bad disaster. You know, it's uh, without any rules, children are lost. They actually need mm-hmm. rules. They need boundaries. And that mm-hmm. kind of super permissive style, again, the children end up, you know, in all kinds of problems. Uh, so there's a real... Interestingly, there's a real physiological basis to parenting. The kind of attention, the kind of love you give your child is it's not just a kind of believed journey. It's a journey which really right. shapes the brain and it shapes how people uh, succeed in life. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, it's an amazing time. I've never seen so much research on parenting. I mean, you can look in the scientific journals and it's just like, wow, you know, there's a paper every mm-hmm. day. People are really interested they're really concerned and they um and suddenly you know it's of major importance to the world and whole countries around the world are you know recognizing that uh, we haven't put enough attention on parenting there's no you know right. nobody takes a course to be a parent uh, nobody gets mm-hmm. a book when they get to be you know when they have their first child it's just uh, you know you in the past it was the grandparent giving to the parent and then the parent giving the child. So the knowledge got passed on. But, you know, people live apart. Those traditions have been lost. And uh, Mm -hmm. most parents come into the world without any understanding, and they've got to just, you know, pick it up on the Internet or wherever they can. And it's not not really the best way to Mm -hmm. help a new parent approach so many problems and it's like trying to fly an airplane while you're building it at the same time. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's you hardly have time even to learn about what to do. So we tried to take all the best scientific information and also this traditional knowledge, uh, which we mm-hmm. felt was so, so valuable and was kind of getting lost. And uh, so we tried to combine that to lay down what we considered was the best parenting. And the word Dharma was such an embracing word that we just had to use it. We knew, mm-hmm. okay, a lot of people aren't going to know what this is, so is this really <laughs> going to help the sale of the book? But we thought, ah, <laughs> it's too great a word not to use. It, it embraces sure. this, you know, a lot of the traditions in both uh, India, and China, Japan. Mm-hmm. That word is a very, very common word in the East. But, True. you know, all this we just have to kind of educate people what that word means in the West, you know? Right, right. What's interesting is the book is a very balanced approach to parenting because ultimately it is the middle path. You had mentioned that in terms of how parenting works and to no fault to the parents because you're right. How do you become a parent? You become a parent based on the experience that you have experienced as a child. So now this book, to me, changes the dynamics in terms of let me give you a playbook here that you have an opportunity to look at. And if you really like it and you think this works based on the evidence that you can read in the book, then you have an opportunity right here to raise your child in a sort of profoundly different way. Yes, I, I would agree. I, that that was our intention, really. Uh just so, you know, we have these tools, six tools, and mm-hmm. the first one, they're kind of based on the word dharma. So 
So the first mm-hmm. one uh, uses the letter D. It's the acronym. And it's discover your uh, brain, body, nature, and the brain, body, nature of your child. And, you know, people um, can go right to our website, Dharma Parenting, uh, and dot com and there's a little button and you press it and then you're able to take a quiz so without paying for anything or doing anything at all you can immediately figure out what your um, individual nature is and what the individual nature of your child is and that really is an amazing insight you get a four-page report and it gives you Mm -hmm. all the details in terms of physical characteristics, in terms of lifestyle, in terms of emotions and, and, and mental capabilities. And so that really is uh, the starting point. And that knowledge has been there literally for thousands of years. And there's all kinds of new, amazing research which validates it. So it's not just some folk knowledge, but it turns out to actually have a basis. You can actually look at... Mm-hmm you know, very sophisticated studies and see, hey, this is real. You know, somebody discovered this a long time ago based on very simple characteristics. And it's a very powerful way of at least understanding the tendencies of a child. Mm -hmm. And these tendencies can be so very different from the parent and also from other children. So it's really important that, you know, you recognize these brain body natures can collide and it's really important that you kind of get that you know if you're one type and your child's another has a different nature you really uh it's really helpful it really gives you such a great advantage when you understand this and then you can be a better parent a lot easier so true so true what are the different body types that is the basis of the foundation of this Dharma parenting. So if you would explain that to us, that would be wonderful. Very good, yeah. Well, um, you know, we're scientists, and so we see this as kind of uh, something that has to do with the, both the genetics of a person mm-hmm. and also with the way the, the brain is wired. Um, and we see this from a very young age. I mean, children display these tendencies very young. And so uh, we use the traditional names from Ayurveda because we just like to recognize that as being the source of this knowledge. And then we combine it with a kind of modern understanding of how the brain changes uh, at different ages. And so the, one of the first types is called the Vada. Uh, we, and we call it brain, body, nature. So part of mm-hmm. brain, body, type, or nature is um, the one that, you know, the child that is so creative, imaginative, might be a little girl that, you know, she's eating breakfast and reading a book, just, you know, consuming knowledge at the fastest possible rate, or maybe slightly thinner than another child, but just, you know, beaming with enthusiasm and imagination. And um, this child has, you know, that strength of creativity and really uh, lovely kind of uh, enthusiasm on everything. But you'll see that each of these types, they're either in balance or out of balance. So I'll talk about some first imbalance, and then mm-hmm. I'll say what happens when they get out of balance. So the, the Vata type, you know, is the one that's always verbal and, you know, enthusiastic and involved in everything. Now, 
The next type is, uh, and this this kind of classic characteristic is movement, a lot of movement. Um, and then the next type is pitta, and pitta in this uh, language refers to this kind of fire element, um, very, very motivated, incredibly focused. These are your kids that are always competitive into sports. Uh, you know, they are in very goal-oriented. They're often physically kind of middle between the two types, but very often athletes, very good athletes, strong um, frame and strong digestion. Um, and then finally there's the kapha type, which is far more social, the very kind of uh, sweet, steady, the real rock of a family that just is bringing everybody together, um, you know, holding the kind of arms around everybody, very loving, a little slower, uh, but actually never forget. Incredible memory, very powerful mm-hmm. memory. Um, a little slower at learning might take, you know, a little more time to get out of bed, a little more time for breakfast, a little more time to learn something, but is uh, really that kind of uh, good-natured, wonderful, steady human being. Now, each of these, you know, are like kind of members of a team. They all contribute something differently. They all uh, provide uh, wonderful facets in life. And we're often combinations. We're not necessarily one or the other. You can be a little of this and a little of that. And you can have, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have like maybe you like to sleep nine hours at night so you're a little more kapha in your sleep pattern. But maybe you um, like to snack a lot so you're a little more vada in your eating habits. When they get out of balance, um, that's where the problems arise, and a lot of the book is devoted to you know, helping parents prevent that. Uh, the Pitta kid is perhaps the most obvious one. Um, you know, we all know kids that have temper tantrums that can get irritable and angry, and um, that is the, the side of the Pitta kid when they're out of balance or a pit of mom, too, or dad, you know, can lose their temper and uh, become very, you know, physical. Um, and that's a side which, uh, you know, obviously is not very good, mm-hmm. but often it happens, you know, in this kind of tradition of knowledge, there's kind of a very simple understanding that uh, one of the simplest concepts is these people need to have food on time. And if they miss mm-hmm. a lunch, they can get very irritable. And so you don't really know that until you've experienced it. And then you see, oh, my gosh, you know, they go from this glowing, wonderful, sweet child to, you know, they're just in flames. And the minute you give them food, it just calms it down. Also, heat can do that if they're out in the sun, you know, playing a sport Mm -hmm. and they just get super overheated. I mean, if they can get into water, that just completely cools them down, you know, creates calmness. It's wonderful. And a, a Vada child, you know, bouncing around, mm-hmm. so much fun, so creative. But if they get overtired, they're, uh, they're stressed, they, you know, they're sensitive. So if you put them in situations where they're tired and it's way overstimulating, maybe they're playing games till late at night or something. And what mm-hmm. happens is they become anxious, they become nervous, they become their attention wanders, and, you know, it's just they're not operating in full mode. And so Mm -hmm. you really need to, and the trick with them, really simple, 
if you give them a really good routine. If they have a routine, you know, their their brain is wired so they they just they can process information so quickly. It's unbelievable. They can just run through mm-hmm. things very quickly. But um, they really need steadiness. They need a routine. They really need to be kind of uh, not to have too many choices, to know what's going to happen in the next part of the day, to be really set up in such a way that they can go from one thing to the other without having to get overtired. And that's also mm-hmm. very important to keep them very well rested. So, you know, that's not that much to do. And then the coffee yeah. kid is kind of the opposite, a little slower. If you try to rush the coffee kid, they, they get uncomfortable. If you try to don't give them enough time to get up in the morning, they can get uncomfortable. And they kind of withdraw a little bit, and they become they put mm-hmm. on the brakes. Like they don't mm-hmm. want to do something suddenly. And so that's just giving them a little extra time to learn things, giving them a little extra time to do things, and also being there to kind of coax them off the couch, away from the game, you know, come on, let's go outside, let's take a walk together, let's do these things. And suddenly they just sparkle again. It's really interesting how the brain Mm -hmm. itself can be in one mode, and then, you know, it's kind of operating in a very happy mode, and then it gets switched to this very kind of emotional and, and very, you know, disturbed mode. And it, mm-hmm. it's just not the right way the brain should operate. It should be, it should avoid that. And yet, you know, we get into these, we have these meltdowns. Kids have these meltdowns and yeah. we're faced with, how do you deal with this? You're screaming right. in the middle of a restaurant, you know, and everybody's looking at you mm-hmm. like you're the worst parents in the world. And, you know, you don't know what to do, you know? And so you, yeah. a lot of it is, is preventable. One of the things that your book talk about, and we talk about this before we got on the air, is that this book is actually as much about being a wonderful parent as it is for the kid. So it's about ourselves as parents. Please tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is this kind of idea of uh, the brain-body types or natures can Mm -hmm. collide, you know, so... Let's say I'm a pitta dad and I've been involved in sport. You know, I want my young bada daughter to, you know, follow or my young bada son to go into sports. You know, I'm like, rah, rah, let's get out, and, you know, throw around mm-hmm. the baseball or whatever. And, you know, they they want to dance or they want to do some, you know, gymnastics or they want to do something that's a little more delicate and subtle or maybe they want to read or do art or play a musical instrument. So I have to recognize who I am first. I have to kind Mm -hmm. of get a sense of who I am, what are my Mm -hmm. strengths and weaknesses. I have to take the quiz for myself. And then I have to recognize that I can't impose my tendencies on my child. They're different. They have a different nature than mine, and they have different strengths and weaknesses. And I can try, but it's just not going to work. And, you know, so... Uh, And then, you know, the second tool is based on the second letter in Dharma, H, and it's heal yourself. And that's a, you know, very fundamental concept that we have in the book that if you're tired, if you're exhausted, which every parent is, I mean, a single mom Mm -hmm. especially, I mean, it's just, you know, how do you manage working and being a parent? Um, But, you know, you've got to take some time off. We highly recommend uh, practicing meditation. Transcendental meditation is the one we've studied the most. 
And, um, you know, we recommend getting rest. If you have to call in your friends and your family for support, it's just essential that you do it. It, it, Nobody likes to see a mom and dad who are just totally exhausted. I remember seeing this cartoon once where you see a mom and dad and they're sitting on a couch and you see these, you know, three kids just doing circles around them. (laughs) And, the the, you know, mom looks to the dad and she says, where did all our energy go, you know? And it's it's kind of like, hey, it's impossible. These kids have got, you know, twice <laughs> the energy. So you've got to get rest, and we really highly recommend Transcendental Meditation just as a way of getting a 20-minute break. But you've got to eat well. You've got to do exercise. You've got to take care of yourself first. You know, they say in an mm-hmm. airplane that mm-hmm. when the oxygen mask drops, you know, you got to put it on yourself first, and then you put it on your child. It, if you're not operating at a at a optimal level, then it's, you're just not going to help your child in the best possible way. So we place a big emphasis on parents helping themselves and getting proper mm-hmm. support. So true. The third tool talks about attention and appreciation. Why is this important? Well, again, it turns out that the kind of attention we give our children is enormous because Mm-hmm. Every experience you have changes your brain, and this is really true when you're young. So every time somebody gives you attention, especially your parents, it has a huge effect on the circuits that are developed in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so attention is a very, very powerful uh, form of kind of you know of shaping the our, our the whole. Uh, not only the body, but the mind of a child. I mean, they've shown, you know, in really extreme experiments, they didn't mean to do this, but in Romania they had these orphanages where they thought they were bringing up the kids without, you know, interfering parents Mm -hmm. and just Mm -hmm. giving them kind of a, you know, but it turned out to be a super lack of attention, and these kids were some of the most, you know, difficult kids that ever grew up, and it's just because Mm -hmm. they had no attention, and, you know, if you if they were given to parents at a young enough age, a lot of uh, Americans ended up taking them. And if they were taken at a young age, they, that attention could change their brain. But if they came at a later age, some of those circuits were so wired that these kids really had a hard time relating to other people. So attention is very important, and the quality of attention is very important. Positive attention is such an important thing. Um, you know, it, Negative attention, Mm -hmm. yelling, shouting, all these things. Again, all the studies really show it's not good. And, you know, people wonder, if my baby cries, should I pick them up? (laughs) Yes, pick them up. Turns out that that, you know, everybody is saying, no, you know, it's really important. Uh, uh, Right. Different kinds of needs. And maybe at a young age, they can't express express themselves very well. But So you just have to attend to them. And as they get older, you know, again, attention is such a a different thing. You know, you're seeing your kid right. bouncing on the on the on the bed, and you're telling them, you know, shouting at them to not jump. And they, at a young age, they don't really understand negation. They just hear jump, mm-hmm. and they keep jumping mm-hmm. more and more. So you have to understand that your appreciation of the stages they're going through in their life is. You know, when they get to, like, between four and nine, they love rules. Mm -hmm. They adore rules. So that Mm -hmm. attention you give them can be wonderful, 
give them structure, give them boundaries. They like that. That's mm-hmm. what they want. That's what they need. They don't need to be shoved off on somebody else. They actually need you mm-hmm. to come to their games, come to their activities. And, of course, as a teenager, this is probably the most important time because if you lose that communication with your kid, they go to their friends for advice. And we know that's right. not very good. So right. Right. keeping those channels open by giving them the proper attention. You can't just you know, say, oh, it's wonderful. I'm so glad you've done it. You actually have to be real. You have to go to their mm-hmm. event, mm-hmm. find out what they're doing, talk to them. That's a time when the brain is developing in such a way where it's actually good for them to challenge you. That's what they mm-hmm. need. Mm-hmm. They need to be able to discuss issues, and they're not going to always you know, come up with the best conclusion. They're, they're just shaping right. their brains. Um, they don't right. even their brains don't even get fully formed until they're 25 years old. So a lot yeah. of the connections to the front part of the brain aren't even there when they're teenagers. It's no wonder they do the things they do, but they need right. your attention to structure those pathways. So attention and appreciation are very very powerful tools uh, for a parent, and they make an enormous difference in whether a child is successful or not. One of the most important things children learn in life is self-regulation. They have this famous mm-hmm. study. It's called the Marshmallow Study. I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but it's just one of these classic you know, scientific studies where mm-hmm. the psychologists are all sitting in a room watching a child, and they take the child into a room, and they say, okay, now you can have this uh, marshmallow, but if you wait for three mm-hmm. minutes, I'll give you two marshmallows. And then they leave the child... And then they study the child and watch, you know, how the child is looking at this marshmallow. And the most amazing thing about the study is if the child has some ability to self-regulate, if they can postpone, you know, eating the marshmallow to get the two marshmallows, Mm -hmm. and they have some little bit of discipline there, they turn out, this turns out to be a better predictor than um, SAT scores or all kinds of college entrance exam tests. This actually is a better predictor of success for a child than almost anything. So it's a very, very important thing that children learn how to take care of themselves. And this is all based on the attention of on a parent. It's just mm-hmm. really how a parent parents. And, and it's you know basically mm-hmm. the quality of attention. Right. In reading your book, again, it sort of reminds me a lot of things about what I talk about and what I've experienced. I'm using from a layman's term in terms of what parents go through, the roles in their life, because obviously there is a period of time when the child is born to a certain age, like you were talking about, to the teenage years, puberty years, the role of the parents are teachers. And then somewhere along the line, the parents themselves has to transition themselves to be a coach. And then finally, exactly. once the brain has developed, then believe it or not, the parents are the best counselors <laughs> yeah, I for the think children. I, I think that's beautifully expressed. I think that's really, really beautifully expressed. And uh, I think that's, you know, and that is uh, a really two parts to that. One is, you know, understanding mm-hmm. the different ages and the development of right. the brain, which is very important. And the other is understanding who you are and who your child is because when you ha- have a better sense of who you are and who your child is, 
you can be a better teacher. You know, if they're mm-hmm. if they're quick learners, that's one thing. If they're slow learners, you have to help them. You know, maybe they need a right. tutor, and maybe one child needs one thing and another child needs another. And then when they're teenagers, you know, being a coach, I mean, that's really mm-hmm. a delicate job. I mean, you're right. so right, right there that you have to be so on their team, and yet you still have mm-hmm. to give them all the boundaries, too. You have to be... That's correct. They have, they have to know what the rules are, and they have, and you have to be consistent. If you're not consistent, mm-hmm. that's terrible. Then they get, then they don't have any kind of, you know, framework to move on to. So it, yeah, you, those are beautiful descriptions. And uh, you know, I would just add one thing to that. And as they mm-hmm. grow even older, mm-hmm. they become your best friend. You know, which is uh, right, right. You know, right. a whole other. I mean, you are their counselor. You're right, but they're, you're also mm-hmm. their friend. You get to do things with mm-hmm. them and share experiences in life. Right, right. So true. What are the six recommended steps in managing meltdowns and modifying behaviors? Well, that, you know, that's uh, that's we skipped one tool, which is routines, but we've already talked about it. Basically, that's the yeah. R, and this is the mm-hmm. M: manage meltdowns. And it's a really good one because it it kind of gives you an insight again into the how everything is controlled by the brain. So the first. <laughs> You know, when a kid is screaming and yelling in the middle of a, you know, a grocery store, and what do you do? You know, well, you got to check in with yourself first. You got to figure out if you're angry, if you're upset, you're not going to do a good job. And then you got to mm-hmm. check in with the child. You know, look at them and see where they're at. You know, you can't, most of the time, there's no chance you can reason with them at that point. It's just it's beyond reason. So we just say, you know, comfort them first especially if they're a young child, you know, that's like key because that can help change their brain state. So you check Mm -hmm. in with yourself, you comfort them, and then you change their brain state. Sometimes comforting doesn't work. They're just so, you know, upset and you can't even comfort them. But that's the first simplest and most powerful tool you have. After that, you know, you have to figure out other ways to change their brain state. If they're pitta and they didn't eat, then you got to, you know, bring a snack give them something right away. No, okay, that's simple. They're a vada and they're, you know, having a, you know, oversensitive at that moment. Take them out of Mm -hmm. that environment. Take them into a quiet environment. You know, some father, you know, might even sing to the child just to kind of calm them down, to change the brain state. Because they're in a bad Mm -hmm. brain state. It's sort of like, you know, if you were walking in a room and you heard the music Jaws in the background, it would be eerie <laughs> and weird. And then you hear some lullaby. You know, it's, it's a different... Right. It's a, you know, that's kind of what's going on. They're in a very scary, bad environment, and they can't change it. Their brain is caught in that circuit. And so you have to kind of help them get out of it at that moment in time. And then once you've done that, and they're in a better brain state, at that point, you can start to use reason. Because up to there, it's all emotion. And then, you know, you can give them a choice. Do you want to stay in the store now or should we go home, you know? Or do you Mm -hmm. want to, you know, go into another temper tantrum or do we want to go about our day and, you know, do some fun things? And it always helps when they can have a choice because that gives them, you know, it empowers them at that point. They can Mm -hmm. have some ability to control their destiny. And then, you know, you have to have consequences. And the best thing to do in consequences is to discuss them ahead of time. Family meetings are so valuable. 
to lay out rules mm-hmm. and consequences and actually let them be involved in formulating these. So, you know, you have a defiant child, someone that's, you know, really giving you a teenager going through whatever. Let the teenager mm-hmm. come up with what the consequences should be. So when they are enforced, when they you say, oh, they say to you, well, I want to earn your trust, and so let me have a later curfew, you know, and you say, okay, mm-hmm. well, we'll we'll do that, but there has to be consequences. If you don't come back at the time we set, then we have to go back, to, you know, to an earlier time. And then suddenly, you know, they've been the one to help shape that rule, and so they break mm-hmm. the curfew, and they've broken the trust, and now they've got to earn the trust again, and so that's very helpful. And then finally, the last is coach, just like you said, mm-hmm. you said it very well, that you are their coach, you know, particularly when they're teenagers, and you've got to always be there for them and be in their corner, and you've got to give them, you know, you've got to challenge them, you've got to give them things that will make them grow. At the same time, mm-hmm. you know, you've always got to be there on their side, helping them and, and not overdoing it. If you overdo right. it, they're not. They're just going to get disappointed. So that's kind of the delicacy of being a coach, giving the proper challenge that's going to lead them to a step higher, but not mm-hmm. create disappointment or or some kind of defeat. So it's a right. that's a that's a big job. That's a tough. To, you know, there aren't that many great coaches in the world. It's, it's a very challenging right. and powerful job. And then, uh, you know, finally, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's. That's the point where, um, you know, you really, as a parent, you really uh, work with a child in, in the over the longest period. I mean, that is your long-term mm-hmm. contract. They're they're always your child. You're always going to be their right. coach or their counselor. That's always going right. to be there. Right. And that brings me back to the concept of, you mentioned this in the book, and I know I'm jumping off a little bit here and there, the family dynamics and yeah. the parents being able to anticipate and adapt. And the reason for that is because if you are not their teacher, if you're not their coach, if you're not their counselor, somebody is going to be all those roles for them. Unfortunately, that's a segment in their life, and you talk about the journey that we go through. If you miss the boat, you're going to miss the boat. The boat's not coming back around. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. No, that's the, you know, ultimately... um, the more knowledge you have of yourself and your child, the more you can create opportunities in the family. Like, say the family takes a trip somewhere. You know, every family goes on a vacation. Say you're driving somewhere. The more you can recognize, okay, this is, you know, it's a drive, not the easiest thing for a kid. Let's plan ahead a little. Let's know that the Vada kid, you know, want to read or listen to some book on tape or have some activity, a game or something, and Pitta kid will probably love a game. You know, that would be terrific. And the copper kid, you can even, you know, that's good for them too as long as you're not challenging, you know, keeping them involved in it. And so if you have things, in the book we give some examples, you know, of what you can do uh, to to prevent meltdowns, what you can do to keep mm-hmm. kids happy. They can take pictures, keep an album. So the whole trip can be, rather than the drudgery of mom, you know, when are we getting there? It can actually be, the road can be fun itself. And, you know, in this day and age with all the things we have, um, the electronic things we have, there's all kinds of things mm-hmm. that kids can do and they can 
post things on the website and then the, uh, their friends can see it. And so it, that anticipating is a tremendous advantage, know, knowing who they mm-hmm. are, what their strengths and weaknesses are, just having, you know, the snacks, having the routine, having the extra time, those kinds of things make the kid's life so much easier. And then the final thing we end up with, the final tool is adapt. Every family mm-hmm. is different. You know, the mm-hmm. how the kids get, you know, which order, birth order they are, you know, whether right. whether they're best friends, whether they fight. It's so different and so complex in every possible way. It's just almost unfathomable how complex all the dynamics are in different families mm-hmm. and different generations. And, you know, you're going to have to adapt. There's no book. There's no one that's going to tell you how to deal with every situation. You just have to right. combine these tools and use your own creativity. In the end, you know, they're screaming in the market. Simplest thing, maybe just to pick them up and take them out and go home. You know, I mean, you just right. have to come up with solutions that are going to work um, mm-hmm. and that are your own creative invention, maybe combining a number of these tools. So true. How should the readers use the book? Well, I would say before you even get the book, I would go on the website. I mm-hmm. would take the quiz. Um, that'll okay. give you a lot of information right away. It's free, it's simple, it's easy. Um, and then once you take the quiz, uh, then you know, then the book, the book, and the website has a lot of fun things on it too. But the mm-hmm. book itself is quite, as you said, it's a fun read. Thank goodness our mm-hmm. wives are good writers. And uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a one story after another. I mean, I had this right, lady right. come up to me who I. I like very much, and she's a you know, basically a PhD in literature, and she doesn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And she said, mm-hmm. "Well, you know, I picked up your book, and I was just going to skim it." And she said, "But I couldn't put it down. It was just like one fun <laughs> story." So, so that, you know, we want the book to be enjoyable. We don't want we want it right. to be fun for parents to relate to. And I think you know, an enjoyable read is one of the nicest things for a parent. And mm-hmm. the hardest thing is actually to get a parent to even pick up a book. They're so busy. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a grandparent, as a friend, you give them the book and just get them to the first page and that book will carry them the rest of the way. And it's pretty self-explanatory. Right. It's it's not it's not like a, you don't have to get a Ph.D. to read this book. It's We tried to make <laughs> it. Too, there is some little science in there, but it's kind of fun science, right. not hard science. Right. Right. Where can someone go to buy the book, get more information about you, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, again, uh, you know, the uh, Dharma Parenting is the, uh, mm-hmm. is the website, uh, D-H-A-R-M-A, uh, parenting.com. So that pretty much has everything about us, gives us, you know, all the information people can find out. The book is everywhere. It's a very good publisher, um, Penguin. And so ultimately, it's in bookstores everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's all over the place. And we're, you know, we're hoping to do a series. Uh, my wife is mm-hmm. just doing one now on Dharma, health, and and beauty. So a lot mm-hmm. of these principles have amazing applications into other areas. So we're going to mm-hmm. keep producing more books, and we're going to keep, you know, expanding it. And uh, the website is a good place to go to get all the most up-to-date information. Wonderful. 
What possible challenges can parents anticipate when implementing Dharma parenting? Well, I, there are special cases, and we talk a little mm-hmm. bit about them, but um, I had an interview not so long ago, and, uh, you know, the issue came up about uh, ADHD and autism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there are special cases. Um, and so those are definitely more challenging. Uh, again, we found in both those cases transcendental meditation to be an amazing tool, and there's some really good research on that. There's a wonderful uh, website, tm-autism, where they talk mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, kids that you would never expect to practice meditation, and they uh, they learn how to do it, and it really changes their lives. So we all know that there's going to be a lot of tough cases if kids have gone through abuse, if they've had, you know, very harsh mm-hmm. situations. And in some cases, you know, obviously parents have to get professional help if something's happened to their child or if they have a particular condition. We give, you know, really uh, the most kind of basic um, advice we can. But there are special cases, and some can be, you, you can use our tools for sure, but you may need to also get, um, you know, in those cases, we, we don't hold back. We say, you know, for sure, get help when you need to. Very interesting. Tell us a little bit about the university. The Maharishi well, University. yeah, this is yeah, this is where we're based, and I was the founding president. It's a place where all the students practice transcendental meditation. We also have a school that goes uh, kindergarten through high school, and we have mm-hmm. a university that goes freshman through PhD, and they're you know fully accredited. Um, we have kids. We have one of the largest computer science programs uh, in the United States. Certainly in the Midwest, mm-hmm. it probably is the largest. And we have, uh, you know, hundreds of kids going to work at Google, Microsoft, all over mm-hmm. the place. So it's a quite a very, if you look at mum.edu, that's the website, um, there are wonderful programs. Um, and the school is called the Marishi School, wonderful things there. I should bring up another um, mm-hmm. uh, resource for people. That's the David Lynch Foundation which uh, does a lot of programs for kids in schools around the world, uh, kids at disadvantage, kids at risk, kids in these, you know, super violent schools. And TM has been really, really valuable there. So um, they all there's a kind of a central theme to all these, which is transcendental meditation. Um, mm-hmm. But this, we have a master's degree in uh, Ayurveda and integrative medicine. One of our big uh, pushes is to create a medical school to train doctors so that they can and train counselors and train you know people so they have an appreciation of these right. wonderful knowledge of Ayurveda medicine and they can apply it um, to helping children, helping adults, helping people everywhere. So these different uh, on our website you can see the links to all these different uh, organizations. Very interesting. We're coming close to the end of the hour. One of the things that we do always ask our guests, do you have a recipe for living life that you want to share with our listeners since our show is about people, family, and living life? Well, I would say that in my life, 
what I found to be the one the one piece of advice I would give everyone is to find a good teacher. For me, that was, you know, identifying a teacher who could teach me about meditation and so forth. But I think it's true everywhere in life. And funnily enough, as you said, every parent is your teacher. So mm-hmm. um, helping parents become a good teacher so a children can find a good teacher, I think is a, a very important recipe in life. <laughs> very, very <laughs> important recipe in life. You know, if our children have good teachers, both through our own teaching and through um, the people they come in contact with, they will for sure become great people. Um, and I think that's the key to life is great teachers, both, and, you know, a parent is the first teacher. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful, wonderful recipe for living. Do you think that the transition within the roles are important as well? Because sometimes parents hang on too long for a specific role, and that's where they stymie yeah. the child's growth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, what you said was brilliant. You know that, that at a certain stage, you got to go from being you know the teacher to the coach to the counselor. Mm-hmm. And you know when they go to college, you just got to let go when they leave high school and they go out into the world. I don't know why 18 is that magical age when we suddenly send them out to the world. They can do whatever they want. But they really, we have to prepare for that because how they they conduct their life at that point is on their own. They can come back to us for advice, but we really have to prepare them for the journey, which is their journey. It's not our journey. Mm -hmm. It's really their Mm -hmm. journey. So, you're absolutely right. There is a letting go process there, which is often very difficult for parents. So true. Well, Dr. Wallace, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from my Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Tuesday morning. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be discussing her debut book, Simply Happy, a crash course in Chicken Soup for the Soul, Advice and Wisdom. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to ktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Dr. Wallace, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a blessed day. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.